You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42 cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. As always, I am your host, Nathan, and we've got another great episode lined up for you where we're going to talk about Shazam. But before we do that, just a little bit of an update about how things are going over here. So Beth and I are almost at the end of Man in the High Castle. I have been watching Avatar The Last Airbender with my oldest daughter. She has never recommended a show for me to watch before, so this is a different kind of experience. I'm often recommending stuff for her to watch and for us to watch together, but this time she came to me with Avatar. Even though I'm not someone who's against watching animation, it's a show that I missed because it came out when I was, you know, just starting building a family and everything else, so it's not one that I'd ever seen before. And so that was a pretty interesting experience watching that show. I think it's aimed a little bit younger than a lot of the cartoons that I typically watch. I think it was probably hamstrung just a little bit because it was on Nickelodeon rather than something like Cartoon Network or another channel that might have allowed for somewhat darker themes in an animated show. But I enjoyed it. It definitely was a lot better than a lot of the cartoons when I was growing up, and the animation for the actual abilities and things of that nature in the world and the whole overall Asian aesthetic to it was something that I definitely enjoyed, so that was really cool. After that, we're probably going to get DC Universe and watch through Titans and Doom Patrol and Stargirl. I've been holding off on watching Stargirl. I know I could have watched it on the CW, but I want to see the uncut episodes because I'm hearing that there's about 10 minutes of extra footage in each episode on the DC Universe version, so I'd rather watch it there, even though, starting with Season 2, they're all going to be the CW length, uh, so that's going to be a little bit interesting there as well. But yeah, so Ben's helping me edit episodes further in advance now. I'm actually talking to you from six weeks or so in the past. So we're still under lockdown here. Hopefully by the time you hear this, we're not anymore, but I wouldn't hold my breath. Hopefully I'm participating in some sort of virtual Dragon Con experience. Although as of this recording, I still haven't heard anything definite about what they're going to do for Dragon Con's virtual programming, how that's all going to work. So we will see how that goes. And yeah, uh, otherwise, not a whole lot going on here. Uh, Like I say, just want to update everybody, let you know how things are going. And yeah, um, hopefully we can build up enough backlog here with Ben that the episode should be really regular from here on. And then things will go smoothly. We'll catch up as we're slowly but surely doing right now. And then we won't have such a bad backlog anymore, which, you know, I always want to have a few episodes in the backlog, but probably have a few dozen episodes in the backlog and that's really too many so anyway without further ado here is the podcast already in progress 
let's meet our guests for this week. And first up, uh, we have the maestro of mics, the Duke of Directors, and that is ESO's very own Mike Faber. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing great, but shouldn't it be the dude of mics? You know, uh, I just... Uh, you know, just think about Dukes. No, dude, dude, you know. <laughs> That's right. You're a dude among directors. You know, no, Mr. Faber is my father. I am the dude. Mm. You know, just remember that. <laughs> right. Or, you know, the dude arena if you're not into the whole brevity thing. Exactly. You know, or, you know, the dudeness or Sir Dude or you know, stuff like that. You know, I could take any of those, but, you know, favor you know uh, no i leave that to my father you know okay. he could be that. <laughs> so dude meister <laughs> uh so what's been going on for you uh, lately? oh podcasting podcasting and hey more podcasting it's always been busy with different stuff going on with the eso network uh lots of wheels and plates spinning all the time we have new shows lined up to be joining the network we've had to alter some of the shows that have been with us for quite some time and you know it's just always just trying to get the presence out for eso and we've been doing really well we're actually as of actually yesterday, we celebrated, get this folks, the ninth anniversary of the Earth Station One podcast. Whoa. That nice. is really cool. Yep. So we've been doing it weekly and we've only missed two episodes mm. in the nine years that we've done this. So it's been pretty amazing. And we have episode 500 coming up later this year. Great. Um, so there's one thing I've always wanted to know, Mike. Yes, sir. When does the, po- when does the network apply for statehood? Um, when we, when we hit 32. Okay. Shouldn't it be 42? It would be 42, but then that's the answer to everything. Yeah. So, <laughs> you, you know, that's when we take over the universe. Come on. Oh, you know, okay. I, sure. We have to have a tiered, you know, thing so that there's somewhere, thing, somewhere more to go. Oh, exactly. You know, you got to work up to things still, you know, we just don't want it all handed to us. We have to work for it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Very cool. Um, but it is an honor to be up here with you, my friend. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's always good to have you on the show. All right, and next up, he is a giant among gorillas. He By Krom, he'll tell you about Conan if you give him half a chance. And that is my buddy, Mark Finn. How are you doing, Mark? Hey, I am not unwell. That is good to hear, considering the last time you were on the show. It sure be, yeah, it sure beats, uh, yeah, the last couple of times I've been on, I've been walking wounded. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm actually wearing pants today and I'm not in my Lebowski robe. I'm, you know, uh, I, 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 don't want to jinx it and say, should be. Well, and my, I, je- and my jellies, come on. <laughs> I don't want to jinx it and say that I might actually be on the mend, but, uh, knock wood, uh, there's a possibility that my junk will return to normal size before the summer. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. All right. So uh, now that things are getting a little bit better for you health wise, um, have, have you been able to do anything fun recently? Let's see. Um, okay. So I, I know I'm late. To the, I'm always late to this particular party because I just, you know, I'm an old man and sad and, you know, all that. But uh, I have recently, as part of my convalescence, uh, started Red Dead Redemption 2. Mm. And uh, I'm really enjoying the game. I, uh, you know, I, I play it. I play uh, Fallout 4, and I, I love the Assassin's Creed games. So those are not 
new to me, but you know, lately the last few games that have come out have gotten so immersive and so just in depth. And I have this bad habit of whenever I get into one of those games, I'll uh, turn the the screen off or look away Mm -hmm. and find that I'm still in it. You know, uh, like with Fallout 4, you know, driving to and from uh, places, I'd see an abandoned shack, you know, mm-hmm. out in the distance and go, I could scrap that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then I go, no, I can't scrap that. That's not 20 wood. Uh, it, well, today, uh, this morning, I was getting coffee and I walked into a store and bumped into somebody. And my first thought was, oh, God, I need to hit X to defuse. I don't want to get into a fight here. <laughs> so. So, you know, I, I, I'm a little too invested in Red Dead Redemption 2 right now. I think I probably need to step back. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you're able to do something that's engaging you in a, in a good way, at least. Yes. It gives me it gives me good feelings to shoot deer, mm. uh, even off on, you know, on a horseback in, a, in an imaginary world, because I live in Texas, and, <laughs> you know, we're, we're lousy with them, you know. Uh, uh, I, I, my car got hit by a deer. Uh, and I say that I don't, I didn't hit the deer, the, the deer hit my car. Mm. Uh, so, so anything, you know, bow hunting on horseback and, and looking and sounding like, uh, an extra from tombstone. Yeah. I've had better, I've had worse, uh, evenings. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm glad that you're doing better and, and you're having fun. Thank you. Death to Bambi. <laughs> All right, and rounding out our cast is someone new to the podcast. Um, he loves Kingsman. He loves Red Dwarf, and I know that because I've been on podcasts with him on uh, on uh, the Red Dwarf one and listened to one about Kingsman, and that is Anthony Williams. How are you doing, Anthony? Hey there. I'm doing great, thank you. How are you, Nathan? I, I am doing fine, thank you. And I should mention, you are our first Brit on the podcast. Awesome. <laughs> Love to have a first. Yeah, I so thought he was from Georgia. Uh, Nathan, I believe that's British American. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I I didn't mean to offend you, Anthony. I I apologize. (laughs) I kid kid the UK. I love them. I like them uh, better than chocolate covered monkeys. Anthony has one of the best Southern accents I've ever heard. Yeah, I'm from South London. (laughs) It is a delight. (laughs) And Um, hey, this is my first podcast with both of y'all. So hi. Hi. Howdy. <laughs> All but, right, we're but, we're on now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, Anthony, since this is your first time on the show, why don't you tell us and everyone at the end of the internet a little bit about yourself? Um, okay, so uh, I I am actually a British American. I I took American citizenship about eighteen months ago. So uh, while that might have been in jest, it's actually true. Okay, um, congratulations. Grew up in. <laughs> Grew up in London, moved to Georgia eight years ago for my sins. Um, in the podcast world, I am one of the hosts of the Watchers in the Fourth Dimension podcast, which is a Doctor Who podcast in which we are watching our way through all of Doctor Who in order. Um, in terms of comic book movies uh, and comic books, I, I'm not an avid comic book reader. I, I delve in every now and then. Um, but I try and digest every DC and Marvel movie that I can get my hands on. You and me both, Anthony. So uh, that's probably uh, what's relevant to this podcast in a nutshell. Okay. Um, what would you say is your primary uh, fandom? Oh, definitely Doctor Who. Um, I've been a fan since I was about three years old. So Awesome. 
I've been a fan since I was four, so pretty similar. <laughs> so that's cool. Um, all right. Uh, so, Anthony, it is great to have you on the show. Great to be here. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. So uh, normally we'd have our five-minute controversy segment uh, here, but this week, because we're going to just dive into the movie, uh, we're not going to have that. Um, so right now we're going to pause for a moment for a promo from another fine podcast. Welcome to the Double Feature Picture Show. What do you want to see? Well, I want to see something really good and something really bad. Like maybe Total Recall and Junior? Sure. Or The Rocketeer and Country Bears? Absolutely. Maybe even Dogma and Yoga Hoses? I mean, of course. Who programs such cinematic excellence and hot garbage together? Why, only the double-edged double bill, my good man. Available on the ESO Network and wherever you get podcasts. And this week, we are going to talk about Shazam, uh, which was the movie uh, featuring the DC Comics character that uh, is called Captain Marvel, not to be confused with the many different Marvel Comics characters who have had the name Captain Marvel. Um, But uh, before we start talking about the movie, I am just curious for everyone's background with the character. So... Uh, Mike, uh, how familiar with were, are you with uh, Captain Marvel? What, this isn't the Marvel movie we're talking about? <laughs> oh, crap, I'm on the wrong podcasting. Now, truthfully, I've been a Captain Marvel fan probably since I was three or four years old. And because my grandfather was into Captain Marvel from the 1940s. And he always used to say, oh, Superman, he's nothing. You know, he's a you know wannabe. You know, he wants, you know, Captain Marvel is the main character. You know, he doesn't need to wear, hide behind glasses. He's a little kid. And then he says a magic word and he becomes a superhero, you know, and went, went on from there. And when DC Comics bought the rights to Captain Marvel slash Shazam, uh, they in the early 1970s, I was on board already and started with number one of that series and, you know, worked its way, you know, through, you know, the different iterations with, you know, him and the Marvel family guest starring in Justice League and then having him in All-Star Squadron and going through the 1980s until Crisis when, you know, they f- brought all the planets together and Captain Marvel slash Shazam became an integral part of the DC universe. And ever since I've been hooked, I kind of trailed off a little bit though with the new 52 because I just wasn't a big fan of what they were doing with the character. Oh, but that's really awesome though, that you have uh, a connection with the character extending back into the forties through your grandfather. Mm -hmm, Exactly. And I've picked up a lot of, I even, when I had my own comic shop, I actually, had purchased, you know, 1940s comics, including the full run with the Monster Society of Evil. So. Oh my God, that's so good! Oh, <laughs> I actually know, I actually know what you're talking about because even though I'm not that familiar with the character, I looked up that post-credit scene, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, but uh, and uh, and learned a lot about uh, Mister Mind and the Monster Society of Evil. You also had um, the Alligator Men. 
mm-hmm. in this movie too. If you mm-hmm. saw, yeah, if, if you thought that, so we'll talk all about it. I'm sure. Sure. All right, and Mark, um, since you're uh, since you were kind of getting excited over there, I assume you are also familiar with uh, Captain Marvel. Yes, I am. Uh, I, I am also uh, a Gen Xer. Uh, 49 and I'll be 50 this year, uh, which makes me officially, uh, terribly old <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, in pop culture terms, you know, cause you got to multiply by seven. So yeah, my interest in, uh, Captain Marvel, uh, started in the seventies as well. The DC, uh, series, which was called Shazam, you know, uh, was doing new stories, but then they were also reprinting old stories. And, you know, when you're seven, eight, you know, consuming comics, you don't make that distinction. They're just stories. Mm-hmm. And so I have some of the uh, some of the DC treasuries, those big oversized uh, folio sized reprints. They did several of those. And of course, one of them had a photo cover from the Saturday morning show, mm-hmm. uh, which featured a guy in a Winnebago. Uh, driving around with a young kid, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I just want to say <laughs> it was it was that was perfectly acceptable because they had seven guys uh, that were gods keeping watch over them in the back of the Winnebago. So you know, very above board. Uh, <laughs> and with a fourteen dollars special effects budget, I <laughs> lost count of the number of times that uh, Captain Marvel would lift the car up by its back bumper to keep the crooks from escaping. Um, so, so while that show did not have the charm of the comics, I thankfully had the comics to fall back on. Uh, so I've, I've been a fan since the seventies. Uh, of course, uh, when I got into comics history and started to read more about it, the story of how DC acquired Fawcett's intellectual property just fascinated me. And uh, for years, I j- I've just giggled. Uh, at, at the uh, at the turnabout being fair play, uh, that uh, they were so intent on shelving Captain Marvel uh, because it was uh, outselling Superman that they let the copyright lapse. <laughs> it really is the best thing ever, and uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's um, intentional that their Shazam movie came out the same year as their Captain Marvel movie because uh, honestly, all it's I've seen so many. Um, of these pop culture sites popping up with, hey, did you guys know that DC uh, lost the, you know, yes, yes, because I'm uh, over 20 and uh, read books that were not online. So yes, I know all of that. (laughs) But I've I've taken a great delight in that. So so yeah, I know a lot about uh, the, you know, the Marvel family, the Lieutenant Marvels. my my favorite uh, iteration of Shazam from my childhood years was when it was a feature in World's Finest uh, with artwork by Don Newton. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you remember those, but uh, those to me were just, while not being C.C. Beck, I thought it was just some of the most beautiful, you know, Marvel family art that's ever been created uh, right up there with Alex Ross's stuff. So Nice. Um Anthony, what about you? Do you have uh, any history with uh, Captain Marvel slash Shazam? No. <laughs> Very simple. Um, 
so I came into this having um, done a bit of background reading uh, before I went to see the movie, but I had never read the comics uh, either in the Captain Marvel or Shazam guises. Um, so I didn't have a huge number of expectations. I had no real attachment to the character, but, uh, you know, I, I went in with an open mind and uh, I'll talk a little more about what I thought once we actually get onto the movie. Sure. Uh, hey, yeah. Anthony, can I ask you something? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, uh, Nathan. Uh, yes, sir. Are you familiar with Marvel Man? I am not. So that was that was the British uh, Captain Marvel. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. Well, well after, after Fawcett lost the battle, this company in England took over the character and called him Marvel Man. Right. And basically, they continued the story and, you know, all very lighthearted. And they had, instead of Mary Marvel, they had, you know, two others. You know, they had the Lieutenant Marvels type thing, but they called him Young Marvel Man and blah, blah, blah. And then in the 1980s, Alan Moore brought the character back and much darker, much, much darker. But they were calling him Miracle Man at that point. Yeah, they had to they had to they had to rename him because he was being imported back to America, where unfortunately the Marvel name was kind of all sewn up. <laughs> so there, there is a tangential. Uh, I was actually I was kind of hoping Anthony that you being British uh, would have a Marvel Man anecdote to tell us because uh, that was a uh, that was quite the uh, thing over there. Sadly not. Yeah, as far as uh, my story with um, Captain Marvel or DC's Captain Marvel, um, I know him primarily from the animated sources. So I remember there was a really good episode of Justice League Unlimited with um, with him, and uh, of course, Young Justice ha- featured him um, somewhat prominently. He wasn't one of the regulars, but he was a background character slash side character in a lot of episodes. Um, so uh, that's that's my primary source for the. Character character so um not, none of the comic stuff uh so i didn't have a whole lot of background with him but i knew the basics of him as a young you know boy who could become this powerful superhero so um i'm really curious now since there's two of us with a lot of attachment to the character and two of us who don't know a lot about the character uh what everyone thought of the movie overall so um Anthony, let's start with you. What did you think about the movie overall? I loved it. Um, I thought it was so much fun. It was totally different to anything DC had tried since they started the uh, the DC Extended Universe with Man of Steel. It was kind of tangen- tangentially attached. So obviously there was the the cameo at the end and 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 the batarang, but you know it wasn't too integrated. It sat on its own. It was funny. It was touching. Um, and, you know, it had my boy Mark Strong in it, who is just wonderful in anything he's ever in. So what wasn't there to love? Yeah. Um, Mark, what about you? What, were your, what was your overall impression of the movie? I got I to gotta tell you, I really enjoyed it. Um, and I enjoyed it for m- many of the same reasons why I enjoyed Aquaman. Uh, it, you know, it, it in no way resembled, uh, or even attempted to resemble the Marvel cinematic universe, mm-hmm. shall we call it genre. And I think that's a good thing. And, uh, so I'm hoping that 
uh, we get to see more of that stuff. Uh, uh, DC doing their own thing in their own way and not, uh, not, not trying to, to follow uh, anybody else. Uh, I, I, I have more thoughts on this, but, but, but for now, I'll just say, really enjoyed it. Uh, thought it was a lot of fun. Was not a perfect movie. But, uh, you know, then again, didn't have to be. Yeah, my take on it is very similar to yours, Mark. I really enjoyed myself. Uh, I don't think it was a perfect movie. I did think that it had some um, flaws in the storytelling. But overall, it was just great to have a fun superhero movie. It was kind of lighter fare, but, you know, that's okay. Some, you know, sometimes superhero movies can be lighter fare because I enjoyed myself while I was in the movie theater watching it, and that's the most important part. So, um, yeah, I mean, some good performances um, in the movie, definitely, and, um, you know, it was it was a movie that I felt like, you know, sometimes when movies get silly, I have a problem because it seems like, it's out there outlandishly silly. The humor in this seemed character driven, which I'm always fine with because yeah, if you gave a 14 year old, the powers that he has, he's probably going to act kind of like what we saw in the movie. So I had no problem with the goofiness and the silliness. Um, so yeah, overall I really liked it. And um, Mike as, as our guy going all the way back, uh, with uh, with uh, Captain Marvel, what do you think of the movie? <sighs> I'm sorry to say this, you know, I was dreading seeing this movie, and you know, worried about it because of what it was based off of, and hoping it wasn't the best parts in the previews and such. And I went in, kind of, you know, as I always do to everything in my life, I go in very like, oh God, here we go. Um, and I walked out of there smiling ear to ear. I loved every second of it. I thought Zach was perfect as Shazam, as a, you know, a, basically an adult body with a teenage mind. And, you know, discovering, you know, the, the wonder of becoming a superhero. And this was just what I wanted my Shazam to be. You know, and I love how he learned along the way and how, how he he grew. And, you know, he started using the wisdom of Solomon and, you know, the whole, you know, different, you know, aspects of the letters and the different heroes. And it was just, it was awesome. And, you know, I like what they did with Dr. Savannah. Uh, he wasn't the Dr. Savannah I grew up with, but this is Mark Strong to a T looks like how he was drawn for the new 52. Yeah. It's scary how much he looked like him, you know, and it was awesome. I like almost everything Mark strong has done, you know, and you know, it was like, it's Merlin, you know, the first time I saw him and it was just like, and then I remember, Oh wait, wait, wrong movie, wrong movie. <laughs> and, then, and then my friend, I went to go see it, dude, that's Sinestro. It's like, yes, yes, I know. <laughs> and it's like, so, it's it, he's just such a great actor, and he was eating up every scene he was in, you know, from from the lab scene where they were doing the studies on all the other people who were taken to the Rock of Eternity, to you know the final scene in the, uh, you know, in the madhouse where he was writing all the different you know symbols on it and everything on the walls and everything. It was it was just really well done. 
and you know we'll talk get into details and you know but yeah i've already ordered it on blu-ray mm. on Amazon. <laughs> that's a, that's a, i've already seen it i've already seen it twice and hopefully i'll go see that in hellboy this weekend again so it should be kind of cool but yeah i loved it yeah, I mean, that's a good point, because, you know, with the Marvel movies, I get them all, you know, on Blu-ray. But with the DC movies, it's been kind of hit or miss. Some of them I get on Blu-ray, and some of them I'm like, I don't really need to see that one again. But yeah, this is another one of those ones that I'd be happy to have on Blu-ray, because it was a fun movie, you know. And and, uh, and that's what and that's what the DC universe was missing. You got it a little bit with the very tale scene in Justice League. You got it a little bit with Aquaman, and this went full tilt. And this is basically the fun we got with Marvel from Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one. I felt like we got that with Shazam even more so, but it wasn't goofy, to, you know, like, oh, it, it, you couldn't follow the story. It wasn't slapstick. It was a superhero coming of age. Yeah, and that and that's what I really appreciated was that it was all in character humor. It's amazing how uh, DC is getting the tone right now that Zack Snyder is no longer involved. Almost like they suddenly get the characters a lot better, <laughs> and not everything has to be dark. Well, well, to be to be fair, it, you know, just to just to make sure the blame is squarely where it needs to go, that's a Warner Brothers thing. You know, that's um, true. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I get where Warner Brothers is coming from because they made most of their money uh, off of, you know, a very successful trilogy of uh, Batman movies that in and of itself was a reboot uh, from a middling uh, series of four Batman movies uh, that were initially critically acclaimed. So these guys have a, a kind of a hubris about them, which is difficult to sort of reconcile you're right they don't know what constitutes a successful character they only know what worked the last time and so uh you know the thing is is is, as critically as the as the snyder movies split the room from Watchmen to justice league uh they raked in a ton of cash it's actually I don't know which executive finally started listening to, uh, you know, what's happening uh, online, but it's kind of a miracle that Wonder Woman got made. And uh, I, I lay Aquaman at James Wan's feet because they gave him room to move. And I think this one happened kind of in the same way, you know, uh, because if you go look at source material for Captain Marvel, now, again, uh, you know, I love the character, uh, but I am also old and, and sad. <laughs> Mike, Mike and I read these original stories, and, you know, for us, now they evoke a sense of nostalgia. You couldn't hand, you couldn't hand even the 1970s uh, Shazam comics to a modern-day 15-year-old kid and say, read this, it's cool. They won't believe you. And then they'll take one look at the artwork, the CC Beck artwork, which is very charming. And again, you know, for me, evokes a certain nostalgia. They'll look at that and go, this is stupid. You know, uh, he, he, it doesn't look like anime. So <laughs> I, 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 I think what they decided to do, uh, which is, you know, sort of uh, initially, I didn't like the 52 thing either. Uh, Mike, I didn't care for it. 
at all, at all. I felt like the character had lost some of his innocence. Uh, well, yeah, I didn't think I didn't think Captain Marvel did or Shazam. I thought no, it was more Billy, Billy lost his. Yeah, name. Billy That's, lost his innocence. But I but I I like that they sort of focused on you know he had tenacity, he had heart, he had will. These things make a hero, and uh, and, and you know he learns the rest, and I think that uh, that really won me over in the film. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and I, and I think that was a really good interpretation uh, that clearly is working. People are digging the movie, so you know, uh, bully for DC three in a row. Uh, I will lift some of my restrictions. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the other interesting thing about this one is that it is the last of the movies that they announced way back when. I guess we don't know about Green Lantern Corps, but that they announced way back when that is actually getting made on time because Justice League 2 was canceled. Um, the Flash movie keeps on getting kicked out. Cyborg was canceled. Green Lantern Corps is supposedly still being worked on, but I don't think it's going to make that August 2020 date that they originally put out there. So uh, Shazam, they always said it was going to come out April 2019. They actually hit the date. So, you know, this is the last of those original movies that they scheduled. Well, they still they still have one other. What's the other? Black Adam. Well, yeah, they never scheduled that. I mean, they said that they're working on it, but they've never scheduled the Black Adam movie. But they've never scheduled, but it's still in production. It's still being written. And also, The Rock is still attached to it. Right. Uh, and, you know, and they hinted at it in this movie, the character of Teth Adam. Yes. Right. Well, and they even when they showed him... You know, they you know they showed like the the wizard showed him like little history with the smoke thing. It looked like the rock, you know. So they actually you know they got mm-hmm. that in there exactly. Um, well, I smelled I, it. You know, I smelled what it was cooking, so it was cool. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to share with you my axiom of uh, movie of, of coming soon uh, information. This and this has served me well ever since Nick Cage uh, was assuredly going to be Superman. Uh, until, uh, until I see a leaked photo of the guy in costume on the set holding a Starbucks cup and talking to the director, that movie is not getting made. And I'm just saying this because I, I thought there's no way they're going to make a Shazam movie until I saw pictures of, uh, of Zach in his suit that they uh, had not digitally altered. And I went, oh. So they're making a Shazam movie. Cool. But see, th- what's nice about this is my my mental energy is free to roam and solve other problems now because I don't have to worry about <laughs> if they're going to get the Green Lantern Corps movie right or you know what or, or Ezra re- writing a Flash script. None of that matters to me. They they spent they spent millions of dollars on Nick Cage's Superman movie and didn't make it. So, you know, and and we now know in the documentary what that got spent on, you know, a crazy amount of junk. So until I see, because the thing is, is, you know, the, the, the Zach photos that were leaked came out last year, you know, um, they came out like, you know, uh, almost, uh, almost 15 months before the movie. That's plenty of time for me to get excited. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, so I don't have to worry about uh, Ezra 
what's his name's uh, Ezra Miller's Flash movie or uh, some <laughs> stupid Green Lantern core idea because you you definitely want to show that before you introduce Hal Jordan again uh, or you know anything else or even even the Black Adam movie which was supposed to come out before the Shazam movie all of that it just fades uh, like like fog off of the morning hillside <laughs> uh, as I as I go well. I guess there's no Marvel movies after Spider-Man Far From Home because I don't know anything about them. I think that's awesome. It's a great way to go through life. Yeah, yeah. DC does have a problem with announcing every idea they scrawl yeah. on the back of a dinner oh, yeah. napkin. But, uh, um, but, but yeah, let's let's move on from this. I I want to talk about um, Billy and. Uh, you know, we'll call him Shazam because he never gets a name in the movie. So um, they definitely avoided saying Captain Marvel anywhere. But I like I like Captain Sparklefingers. Come on, S- Captain Sparklefingers is my favorite of the suggested names. I was kind of hoping for Captain Whitebread as a little nod to Justice League uh, from 1987, but uh, that might have been too deep a dive. Yeah, and that also might have some overtones that people don't want to say in this day and age. But it was the 80s. Didn't know any better. Yeah. <laughs> but kind of teeing up on uh, what um, Mark was saying earlier, um, you know, when, when the movie started, or not when it started, but when Billy gets to the, um, what is it called, the Rock of Eternity, um, you know, where the wizard uh, is, I-, I was thinking, well, this is unfair. He doesn't get tested like all the other candidates did. It's just kind of like, hey, you're here, and I don't have anyone else, so here, you get the power. And I know some people have mentioned the fact that he doesn't seem all that pure of heart in the movie. I kind of like that because at the end, we get the test with him holding the thing and he gets tested at that point. And I feel like the whole movie kind of led us up to the point of, I think the wizard's standards were way too high and nobody could nobody could meet them. And it wasn't until Billy had the responsibility of being a superhero that he grew into being the person worthy. And I kind of liked that as a journey. And I kind of liked that as a fact that at least they did make sure that he was tested at the end to show that, you know, he was now pure of heart and was someone that could, you know, would shoulder the responsibility that he had been given. He also found his family too. Right. Right. In that aspect, it really feels like a kind of coming of age story. You know, he develops as a person and all those kind of uh, deviant behaviors you see at the start in terms of stealing cop cars and, you know, which is really coming from a good place. He wanted to find his mom, but it's still kind of misguided behavior. But by the end, he accepts who he is. He accepts the people around him. And that's the story. Right. And I love that. Yeah, I, I love family-type stories. I always love when that kind of thing is in there. Um, and so, yeah, the dynamic of him realizing that his mom isn't his family and switching to these people who are taking him in and welcoming and, and, and want to be his sister, brother, parents, you know, that, that was a really good aspect. Of yeah, that. but the thing is, and I'm going to put this out there, he left his real mom who abandoned him, yes, and was kind of psycho, yes. You know, she was looking for the kid for, you know, 15 minutes. Oh, Billy, Billy, then saw him sitting with the police officers and said, oh, he's in good hands, I'm leaving him. And, you know, she's not a good parent. But Billy did leave her 
in the hands of an abusive relationship, you know, and, you know, you heard he was the person, whoever was behind the door was totally bleeding her, you know, and, you know, what are you doing? Who are you talking to? You know, and, you know, she was, he knew she was in a bad relationship and he just left her like she left him, you know, that kind of put a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, that was that was really the one element I was hoping that they would come back to. And there was never really any closure on it. You know, I was hoping that maybe towards the end he would, you know, come back and, and read his mom's boyfriend, husband, whatever he is, the, the riot act and say, you know, you don't treat this lady like that. But that exactly. Never Especially happened. if he came back as Shazam. Exactly. Yeah, I, I I agree with that, and there's still room for them to do something with that, I think. Um, the one thing that I thought was really, really interesting how they, they played it was that when Billy's remembering what happened to him that last day, everything is bright and shiny. Her mom, his mom is you know, speaking in, in such nice tones about mommy's not trying out for the Olympics, honey, you know, and everything is, is, you know, wonderful until he loses her. And then when her, when his mom tells the story of what happened that day and you see it from her point of view, everything was dark and muted. Um, she was like barely one step away from losing it. She's like, honey, mommy's not trying out for the Olympics, honey, you know, and you know, stuff like that. And she even looked a lot worse you know, and like sort of depressed and down and everything. And so I kind of liked that whole um, aspect of, you know, showing that what Billy was looking at was through rose-colored glasses, and it had never been as perfect as he thought it was. And um, I just thought that was a nice direction to it. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree with it. I like that too, because every little kid thinks of their youth as happy, go lucky, shiny, and everything, and you know, you, when you see it through the, your eyes. But this is what reality was, as she said to him, "I, when I had you, I was seventeen, and you know, I be- was barely able to make ends meet." I also didn't like it that they made his father, who was named Cece Batson after Cece Beck, you know, that oh, he's in jail, and you know, and so it's just like, ugh. That's just like, oh, kid, you're coming from bad stock, you know, that type of thing. And it was just like, uh, that kind of that put like a little bit of a sour taste in it, but the rest of the movie won it out for me. The, uh, how do you guys feel about the how well um, Asher Angel and uh, Zachary Levi um, like, uh, matched with their performances? Oh, I thought that I thought that it was a wonderful uh, uh, transformation, you know, and uh, I got the impression. Uh, well, first of all, I, I think uh, Zach Levi is really underrated as a performer, anyways. Uh, but in, in this particular instance, uh, it, it was really cool to see. Um, I, I feel like, and I hate to use this comparison because so many people have already done that uh, and, and done it in a very facile and dismissive way. It's kind of like how Tom Hanks pulled off, you know, being the kid in big, you know, uh, I, you know, he really does it with, with his eyes and his face and, and his, um, uh, his whole physicality, you know, there's a, there's a kind of a cool awkwardness, uh, to Shazam and, and you know he doesn't get good at it until 
you know, the, the stuff's on the line and he's got to, you know, start thinking seriously about stuff when he's just there as, as uh, the transformed hero, you know, the champion, uh, he, he still looks like the kid, which I thought uh, was probably the, the most endearing. I think that's what won me over on the film. I I completely agree with that. So the only thing I I mean I'd seen him in other things here and there, but I was really familiar with him from last year's season of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, where his yeah. his character's kind of you know a bit stuck up, a bit jerkish at times, and you know I that's because that's the performance I'm so familiar with. That's what I normally see him as in my head, and he was a complete revelation in this movie. You know, he, uh, he 100% had me believing that he was a 14 year old in an adult's body. You know, he played it with, (laughs) with that, just that childish glee. And uh, I could tell he was having an absolute blast while making it. Oh, very much. So the, from, you know, the first time when he was first captain Marvel or Shazam, whatever you want to call him, um, you know, going to, you know, on the subway car and, you know, everyone like, hey, nice outfit. And he was like all embarrassed, like trying to walk through the crowd. <laughs> and I don't know how to yeah, pee in this thing. I love that. I don't even know how to do that. <laughs> to the scene where everyone's seen in the previews was the, you know, convenience store was just awesome. And then all, you know, shoot him in the face. See if it's just not the suit, you know. And his, the look on his face was like, what? You know, don't do that. <laughs> and they shot him in the face. And he was like, oh, you're dead. <laughs> I love that. It, that's just like having a 14-year-old. That was his reactions. And then to the scene where the bus was tilting off of the expressway and him not knowing what to do. You know, because he hadn't learned how to fly yet at that point. He puts the mattress down. (laughs) Yeah. I'll be back. Hold on. (laughs) To be fair. Sorry, Mike. To be fair, I think a lot of his reactions, even, uh, you know, if I suddenly found myself as Captain Marvel or Shazam at the age of 31, I think I would have the same reactions and be walking around being like, hey, I'm a superhero. You know? (laughs) Oh, and like when he was walking through the shopping mall, you got to charge. You got to charge. Yeah, the reason why I brought up like how well they matched is I've heard that as a criticism that the way that the, you know, the the Asher plays Billy is almost too serious. And then when he's Shazam, he's very light and, and, you know, doesn't seem like the same character. But I would argue that because of the anonymity that his power gives him and the fact that he can sort of put his problems and concerns behind him when he's this other character, that I think that it makes sense. I don't think that it feels like it's two totally different people. I I feel like I can understand how one is the other. I could see that. I totally could see that. And, you know, it's like, wow, this is me. I have all the power in the world. Let me have fun with it. And, you know, when you're a kid, you know, when he's Billy, he's a teenager. He's angsty. He's, you know, the world is on his shoulders. You know, he's trying to find his mom. And, you know, he's being thrown into this new environment at, you know, the foster care house. And, you know, even though they were great and everything, but he doesn't know these people and stuff and he's always had since he was like three or four he's only only had to defend on himself 
Yeah. Yeah, I have to say that, um, you know, that was always one of the things about the the original character that uh, was appealing. Uh, you know, rather than being super science, you know, uh, it was magic. And there was a certain amount of freedom to that. I mean, the, the some of the Captain Marvel stories from the 40s get pretty wacky, you know, and, and they get wacky just because, you know, because that's magic. And so uh, that character has always been a wish fulfillment uh, for Billy Batson. You know, he was he was always uh, the orphan who had to grow up too fast. Uh, you know, he uh, was originally, uh, you know, a, a newspaper, a cub reporter. And then he, you know, became a, a teenage, uh, you know, person on the radio. Uh, yeah, there's all this really goofy stuff, but it was all, you know, because he didn't have anything else. So he had to go, he had to go be his own adult. And with Shazam, he got the chance to at least have a sense of wonder that was missing from his life. And, and, and they really pushed that with Freddie Freeman in the comics, you know, because he was quote unquote, the crippled newsboy <laughs> who sold newspapers on the street. Mm-hmm. And so that, it, I love that, um, you know, that that, that 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 was retained. I, I think that was real important because uh, these two guys, uh, less so Mary uh, Marvel, but, but these two alter egos certainly had, had hard knock lives. And uh, even though they were fighting, you know, uh, horrible, strange and unusual things as Captain Marvel Jr. and Captain Marvel, uh, they were still having fun. They were having the kind of fun that they couldn't have if they were just, you know, selling newspapers and getting splashed with uh, cars as they drove by, you know, on rain-soaked streets. Yeah. Before we move on to talk about Freddy, I do want to also talk about how Shazam was realized physically in the movie. Um, I, I think that the way that they did super speed in this is one of the favorite ways that I've ever seen it depicted in a movie because there's just like this streak of bright light and he is in the other place. And I love that. I don't know why. I just, I just thought like, that looks really cool. (laughs) So, so I love that. I mean, for a character who's got a lot of the same kinds of powers we're used to seeing in Superman, it was nice that visually it was different than what we normally Mm -hmm. see. And, um, and I thought that it all looked really good. Other than, you can tell that it's a muscle suit <laughs> that, Zach, that Zach's wearing. It's it's not, you know, uh, you know, it's supposed to be. He's got big bulging muscles, and I look at that and I go, no, the guy stops here, <laughs> and then the costume starts here. It's a little. Uh. But as far as the actual powers and the CGI, I thought all that was great. Well, I thought it was really done, but it was interesting too because you know the dynamic they had between Billy and the other foster kids was awesome and everything. And, you know, I had to go back and look at some of the new 52 after I saw the movie and had to realize that Mary in the new 52, Mary is not Billy's sister. Right. And so, and you know, they're all orphans all living under the same house and that's cool, you know, and you know, she's still Mary Marvel, but you know, in the comics, but that's okay. But it, it was interesting to see. I just, you know, I, I liked how, you know, Zach 
portrayed the character and you know he was a 14 year old kid he has all these powers but he doesn't know how to use them so when savannah came after him you know are you you're the champion and it's like yeah i am and then he threw the fit punch and he caught his hand right there it's just like he had never hit that and then probably getting hit and it's like oh my i'm not as powerful as i thought i was you know, type thing. Well, the the other thing that this movie did so well, I thought, was the discovering his power. Like, even before Savannah and doing all the tryouts for, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you do the other thing? I don't think, you know, I always enjoy that aspect of a superhero origin. I don't think I've ever had as much fun with it as this one because of all the different things they try. Because usually in a, in something like this, like the hero just needs to sort of perfect, like they kind of get the feel for what their powers are and the training is just sort of perfecting it. In this, he had no clue what he could do. So they're doing all kinds of stuff, setting him on fire. You know? <laughs> Can you turn invisible? And then like the, the fake out with that of, you know, like, oh, wow, where did you go? And, you know, making him think that he was invisible. <laughs> it was It was just so much a part of what made this movie fun. You know, to just watch them sort of just have the joy of discovery. Well, I, I, exactly. I, think, I think I was worried uh, initially that they might miss that they, they might get the tone wrong. And I was really because tone is vitally important, I think, for Captain Marvel. Uh, probably, I won't say more so than any other character, but alongside some of the more um, flagship characters, I think tone is everything. And uh, what, even though this isn't necessarily how I would have done it, you know, because once again, I was not consulted. Uh, nonetheless, I do think that uh, all the notes rang true. This is what those kids would do if those, you know, it, it's sort of the same thing as mm -hmm. Peter Parker putting his Spider-Man rescue videos up on YouTube. You know, that's what the kids do these days with the with their jazz records and their roller skates. You know, they put stuff online. <laughs> and so uh, so it, 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 it had that that verisimilitude of authenticity to it that uh, myself as an old fart would not have thought to bring to it. And, and I think that's another reason why it works the way it does is because they still got the G whiz in there. It's just a G whiz that's that comes from uh, putting YouTube videos online, you know, so. No, I just I wanted agree. to say YouTube videos a lot. I just, I just felt like the more I said YouTube videos, that we get something some kind of search matrix going. <laughs> well, can't hurt. No, I definitely think that you know they did tie it into you know what's going on nowadays, and I thought it was very fresh. A lot of it, all the way even up to the final end scene. Uh, where you know they were joking, seeing about can you talk to fish, and it's like, oh, that's a stupid power. <laughs> well, maybe you could lead an army of aquatic creatures or something way like to, that. Way to throw a little yeah, show. Yeah, that that was fun. That was fun. Oh, that yeah. was done really well. Yeah. I wonder if Aquaman had done poorly, like what their alternate scene was going to be, because I'm sure they had. Uh, hey, if Aquaman does well, we're going to do this, and if Aquaman does poorly, we're going to do this other thing. So, um, I'm just curious, kind of curious about that. I I'd say it, I know they were planning on having Henry in the movie as Superman. Mm -hmm. 
Right, and that was the whole thing that came out with uh, Cavill is no longer Superman because he's not in the Shazam cameo like he was exactly. supposed to be. And it uh, would have been great yeah. to see if he had a mustache or not. So it would have been perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Mustache gate. So hang on, just, just on that note, is he officially out? Is that official yet, or is that still just speculation? No. Still speculation. That is speculation. And Cavill didn't help matters when he posted that video that didn't answer anything. When people were like, oh, is he out? And then he just posted a video of him with a Superman action figure that he raises, and then he lowers. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> but, um, uh, but, yeah, let's talk about Freddy now. Because I think that Freddy stole the show. Um, he was magnetic, charismatic. He was, in many ways, the heart of the story. Because he was the one that helped Billy not only discover his powers, but also kind of realize what a hero is supposed to be. And, um, yeah, I, I thought that that was a wonderful performance. And I feel like when he got his powers... The actor who played the the uh, Captain Marvel Jr. version or whatever you want to call it, he did, was the best match for the younger actor. Where I felt like he not only looked, but he sounded, uh, you know, like um, Jack Dylan Grazer. So um, I really enjoyed Freddie in this. Um, Anthony, since we, we've been kind of talking a lot, um, what, what did you think about Freddy? Oh, I thought he was great. I mean, again, I, I don't have a huge um, background in the Captain Marvel and Shazam uh, mythos, so he, he doesn't mean a huge amount to me personally, but the idea of um, you know his disabled uh, younger foster brother who uh, you know, they, they become friends somewhat unlikely friends um, but friends nonetheless over the course of the movie uh, and he really helps Billy grow as a person grow into his powers and then at the end he gets his own powers and is able to have you know a, a body that works <laughs> properly or mm -hmm. even more than properly as he's a superhero I, I thought it was a, a great great story there I like that when they all transform we cut to the um the brace that he uses falling to the ground before we see what they look like. Right. Um, I thought that that was a nice shot, uh, you know, for that to see that, Oh, you know, like he's, he's now going to get what he's always dreamed of. Exactly. And even the happiness he has that flight is what he's, you know, he's like, I can fly. Cause that's the thing he's been talking about. Would you fly? Or would you turn invisible? And so I just, I liked how that tied together too. You notice that the whole time, Captain Marvel Jr. never touched the ground. Mm -hmm. he, he floated the whole time. You know, it was just like, I'm not touching the ground. You know, I <laughs> I don't want to be held up with that brace. So it's just, it's really awesome. There's a great bit of irony there in that, you know, he has a body where his legs work, but he doesn't use them. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I will say this, uh, not only for uh, you, Anthony, but uh, our other listeners out there. Um, if you get a chance to go check out some of the original comics, uh, they are available in reprints. Um, the artist who was responsible for drawing uh, the solo adventures of Captain Marvel Jr. was a guy named Mac Rayboy. And Rayboy uh, did not look anything like C.C. Beck. Uh, in fact, his style was uh, much more of an illustrative look, but he had this uh, ability to really render 
the the human form uh, very gracefully, very effortlessly. And so I always associate a kind of a natural uh, athleticism to Captain Marvel Jr. Uh, nobody, the only person who's ever really come close has been, you know, in a sense, Don Newton, because he was actively trying to look like Mac Ravoy at one point. But the, the, the way the character is drawn, you know, uh, every time uh, Ravoy would draw Captain Muller Jr. in flight, it, it looked like a very enviable thing. You know, it was like, oh, mm. wow, that's, that's what that would look like. That's exactly what that would look like. So I also liked it for probably not the same reason why everybody else did, but I, I, I appreciated the fact that, uh, that, that he gave uh, that character some grace, uh, which, was, which was great. So just to quickly backtrack on something, um, and for benefits of myself and other listeners who aren't so familiar with the comics, um, I know that the DC Universe streaming service has a number of comics on there. Do you know if any of the uh, Captain Marvel reprints are available through that? Good question. Let me uh, let me do a little quick investigating work for if you. If only we had a machine to do something like that, to research it. <laughs> well, that I don't, I don't have the service, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. What's currently on there uh, looks like most of the new Shazam. Uh, uh, it's, it's the old Power Shazam series from the 80s with Jerry Ordway, which I do recommend. That's awesome. Uh, some of the kind of classic uh, team-ups, like the DC Comics Presents with Superman and Shazam fighting Black Adam, also highly recommended. Uh, the 52 stuff and... Uh, a few other miscellaneous comics in that regard. I don't know if they're going to do more than that, but I don't see any of the old forties era Captain Marvel listings on their site. Sorry. I I suspect much like Marvel's Marvel unlimited, they'll keep adding to that. Um, Because I know I keep asking Marvel to add more of their uh, forties stuff. Um, also, and that's, and that's, of course, you know, they have to digitize it. They have to get it all up to a certain quality standard. So it's kind of hard when the comics are that old. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, I, I suspect they will keep adding to it because Marvel's been doing that too slowly, but surely a lot of their 40s stuff is getting online. Uh, if you subscribe to their service. That said, speaking of DC universe, the, the Shazam TV show, I believe is available on it. Uh, yes. A few of the episodes are on there. And be careful what you wish for. Uh, <laughs> you cannot go home again. And uh, I, I have found that those do not age well. Uh, fact, uh, it's, it's basically buttermilk. When it goes, it goes hard, and it goes fast, and it doesn't get better. It doesn't even become good cheese. It, it just becomes bad. Okay. I mean, um, I know for some of you, I know some of you right now are like, oh, screw that. I'm going to go look. I'll show clickety-clackety-clickety YouTube. I know what you're doing right now. You're, you're like, he, he's so stupid. He doesn't know. He can't possibly be right. I guarantee you 15 minutes in, you're going you're gonna to look me up online and offer an apology. It's you, terrible. You will say thank you to this man. It is kind of the worst thing ever. But in 1974, I, what, what else did I have? I had I had nothing is what I had. I had nothing else. I was happy to get it. I was thankful 
that at least at one point in the show, I was going to see um, Jackson Bostwick turn into, you know, this uh, uh, accountant turned attorney turned superhero and lift the car bumper. You know, I, I was I was grateful to get it. Yeah, I, I saw like because you know on on Facebook it's making the rounds of just like the I guess it's the intro or the beginning of the first episode or whatever. I saw a few seconds of that and I was like, yeah, I don't think I need to see more. You don't. You do not. And Never. His, cape, his cape has this weird design all over it and everything, where it's all like butterflies or flowers or something. I don't know. It's that was uh, from the it, that was from the comics. Yeah. Oh, okay. It was it was a uh, like a military epaulet kind of a thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I thought it was more like going for like the hippie movement or something. It's like uh, you know, peace and love far out kind of thing. Oh, <laughs> that's, one, that's Wonder Woman season three. Oh, okay. What in Wonder Woman season three? That's when everybody's from the future and they're wearing lycra pantsuits because that's how it is. Uh, everything Wait. is crystals and lycra. You telling me that's not what you wear every day? Uh, not yeah. in the future. Well, in Wonder Woman's future, maybe it is. You know. Uh, <laughs> Then again, you know, uh, if, if I lived in a world where Linda Carter were Wonder Woman, I would wear whatever she told me to wear. You know, you, you'll be in the moose costume. Yes, ma'am. And I'll be thankful to wear it. And I go, yup, yup, uh-huh, yep, sure. There you go, Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so how do you guys feel about the, uh, the rest of the family? So anyway. Okay, um, okay, okay. Yeah. Do you want to go first? <laughs> yeah, I I didn't mind the rest of the family. Dee Dee was awesome. Mm. I liked her because, you know, she was the typical little sister who couldn't keep her mouth shut about anything. And I loved how, you know, when Billy said, you got to keep the secret if you want to be a good sister. And then, you know, when everyone else found out about it and she's like, it's about time you figured it out. I am a good sister. <laughs> and that was awesome. And then the scene when she had already transformed into the superhero and she rescued Santa. And, mm -hmm. you know, you have to remember, she's a little kid, really little. Mm -hmm. And she walked up to Santa and said, Santa, my name's Dee Dee, and I've been really good this year. <laughs> and I just, I just love that scene. It was just like, that was just because you have to remember, these are still little kids. And Santa actually stole the show for me. I loved Santa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Running away and pushing through everybody. And everything. Uh, yeah. No, every man for himself. Get out of my way. <laughs> and then the news coverage that they did. Mm -hmm. So here's the question. Here's the question. And we'll go back to your other question in a sec. Sure. Because where, when this movie took place and Santa was in it, does this movie like Die Hard? become a Christmas movie. It does not. Why because, not? Because Santa could have been replaced with any other... He could have been Easter Bunny. He could have been a Great Pumpkin. He could have been uh, Uncle Sam on the 4th of July. There, with the exception of the, of the suit and the Winter Carnival, there's nothing to really anchor this. You've got to have at least one Christmas thing in it like like a like a theme, you know, whether it's the importance of getting the family together or um, using the tropes of Christmas to terrify gunmen or uh, you know something like that. It, it, it just wasn't enough. It was close. It's sort of like how the Blues Brothers it has music in it, but is not a musical. I agree 
Because if we don't draw the line here, then where do we draw it? What's next? (laughs) I did think it was an odd choice because, like you say, Mark, I mean, there wasn't anything overtly, other than the fact that they had the trappings of Christmas out, there wasn't anything really Christmas like related about the movie. So I was kind of surprised because they always, it was always scheduled for April. 2019 so uh, it wasn't like they thought they were going to be released around Christmas time so I I did think that that was an odd choice um, for just a background setting but uh, I kept expecting it to have more meaning but maybe it was just because they wanted the Santa gag in in Die Hard he's coming to meet Holly because it's Christmas he's trying to get back together at Christmas the whole thing is is it's planes, trains and automobiles with Nakatomi Plaza And, and Lethal Weapon Christmas is the time when suicides go up. It's when you miss loved ones. That is clearly evident with Riggs, even in L.A. Uh, He makes a point of pulling a guy off the roof by talking about how the silly season brings it out in all of us. Uh, You you know, there's all of that in there. And so while while it's a toehold on Christmas, it's definitely Christmas. This is not Christmas. It just happens to be taking place in December. I can't argue any better than that. I, I that's it. That's all I got in the tank. I'll I argue, will... but no, just kidding. <laughs> well, <laughs> all right, all right. So, so about the family, and this is, I'm going to go ahead and kind of start on my criticism a little bit. Okay. There, the family is um, very by the numbers. It's very rote, hmm. and um, it, there's a lot of of set pieces in here that. That have that I've seen before elsewhere in other places, uh, up to and including aerial battle, you know, uh, with Superman and uh, the the Kryptonians. I'm sorry, I mean Shazam and Savannah. There just there was a lot of awfully familiar beats in it, and I, I, I didn't mind it. That's the that's what I find so weird about it is there was a lot of really familiar territory here, both on the superhero side of things and the, the home life side of things. Um, it was a little, the home life was a little too idyllic. That was my, uh, you know, and I, and I know you have to have that contrast, especially when two thirds of the movie is Billy obsessing over his mom, who he's sure is, you know, still out there. Um, but uh, it just there, there was a lot of familiar by the numbers beats. I thought the family was one of them. That didn't mean I didn't like them. Freddie was charming. Dee Dee was charming. I liked that the other kids each had a kind of a superpower, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it was you know hacking or uh, you know being a protector or a guiding instinct or you know whatever it was, everybody had their kind of little niche. And I think that's probably going to show up uh, if we get a sequel. You know, they'll develop the Marvel family, I think, more thoroughly in that regard. But but I, I that was all I, you know, that's really my concern. And I'm surprised that it didn't bother me as much as it would bother me in other movies. I, I, maybe it's because I really wanted to like this movie. I think I really wanted to like Shazam and I really wanted it to be. So I wanted other people to like it, too. So if that means that we have to kind of go back over to a kind of a superhero movie that we've sort of grown out of to make it work. I'm cool with that. Cause, cause again, that's what it needed. Sometimes you, sometimes, you know, you don't chuck out the baby with the bathwater. 
there's a reason why from 1978 to 1998, we got the same superhero movie over and over again, hmm. you know? So any, I, I feel like that was a throwback in some ways. Does anybody else agree with me or think I'm totally off base? Well, I don't think that the family got as much development, you know, as Billy and Freddie did, and I think that they did kind of fall into archetypes, but I felt like I, you know, with with them having to introduce a whole bunch of characters, I didn't need for all of them to have, like, their own arc, and for them to be very well flushed out. You know, that's something that can be done in a sequel, like you mentioned, and we can get more with them, and sort of getting more into their personalities and backgrounds and everything. I feel like concentrating really strongly on Billy and Freddy and Dr. Savannah was a good move, because I think a lot of movies, a lot of these superhero movies nowadays, try to do too much too early and so it's like oh we've got to introduce 15 characters and give them all backstories and do this and that and it kind of muddles the story and this story didn't feel muddled at all i mean we had the through line through the whole thing so you know yeah yes there a downside to it sure but the family was really likable like you said and so there, those are archetypes for a reason. And so, you know, I mean, because they are something that resonates, you know, with us. And so, you know, I was fine with it. I mean, something that, that I thought was, was fantastic that, that maybe met, might not have meant as much to other people. But when Eugene gets his powers and he's doing Hadoukens and stuff like that. Oh, and <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. As someone who grew up playing all those video games and doing fatalities, I'm like, that is so what I would do when I was a kid if I had gotten powers. I'd be like how do again you know so I, I love that and just on that note of eugene i mean i, I think the the script writers were very, very aware that it's it's difficult to fully introduce six heroes in one movie effectively so they took two of them being eugene and pedro and, and made one of them a, an obsessive gamer who's a little bit antisocial and another one who is incredibly shy and that way you can just take out having to give them too much time and come back to it in a later movie yeah so i think yeah. that was kind of some smart scripting there and i think it's also for me uh interesting that my having just watched captain marvel um i felt like that movie tried to do too much mm -hmm. and so and so I, it was interesting it was an interesting maybe coming off of that like i did it was uh uh, it, it was maybe easier for me to, to have that kind of sort of mental comparison. Uh, but I, I think it's going to do enough to warrant a sequel if Warner Brothers can figure out what to do, which is not guaranteed at this point. Well, the writer says he's already been asked to start writing the sequel. So, I mean, yeah, it does. that's not a 100% guarantee, right. but they are already working on it because it did really well this weekend. Well, they they have now developed a habit of of announcing stuff and then canceling it before it gets much farther. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you'll look closely at me, Nathan, you will notice I'm not holding my breath because <laughs> I would turn orange and die uh, before that actually happened. So I'm gonna I'm gonna just enact my axiom and you know say out loud, oh, it'd be nice if we got a sequel, but I'm, I'm not planning on it. I'm not expecting it. And then when I see that, that new picture of, of uh, Mark Strong and um, uh, The Rock together 
uh, yucking it up between takes, I'll be like, oh, cool. All right, they're doing a new one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Problem solved. Another way that I thought that this, you know, the movie like was really well plotted is that they showed the seven thrones in the beginning. They mentioned there had been seven wizards. And so it doesn't feel like it comes out of left field when he has the staff and he's able to grant powers to the other kids as well. Because I was sort of suspecting that, that I was like, wait a minute, there's seven thrones, there's there's him, there's Billy, there's the one that came before, and now what do we have? We have four more kids? Hmm. You know, so uh, I thought that that worked uh, really well, um, you know, as just sort of like telegraphing, uh, I'm sorry, five more kids, that, that they sort of telegraphed that that was the route that they were going. Because um, sometimes in these movies also things feel like they come out of left field and people are like, what was in the comics? But, you know, this this I uh, I liked. I, I also liked how they tied it in with the the need for a layer because I didn't get I didn't see that one coming. But then they're like, do you know what this is? This is our layer. And I was like, oh, that's great. What's a layer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I loved so, it when they Billy and well, Captain Marvel and Freddie were in the real estate office. Oh, oh God, yes. for, that was just awesome. One bedroom, seven bedrooms. <laughs> seven. Do you and have something that overlooks a cliff? <laughs> like a castle or something? Oh, that's great. And that's what little kids would do. At a mm-hmm. And it, it was just really awesome to see. It, it, it was very reminiscent of the, the scene in Big where they go cash his check. Mm-hmm. And she says, how do you want it? And he's a hundred dollar bill, $20 and quarters, <laughs> and 137 pennies, you know? And then later we see them, you know, playing games at the arcade. And, and I just love the fact that, you know, they wanted to see a hundred dollar bill. Mm-hmm. That was just great. Yeah. No, it, it, all of that, you know, again, familiar beats. Um, but I think the only, it's probably only familiar to people over a certain age because we haven't had one of these kind of freaky Friday movies in a while. So, you know, uh, there's a whole new generation going, wow, this is so novel. I've never seen anything like this before. And then, you know, when old people go, well, what about big? They go, I don't know what that is. You know, and you, and, and you go, you know, Tom Hanks used to be young. No, he wasn't. And then you have to go <laughs> hide and drink lots. Uh, yeah. But, um, I, I think that we need to talk about Dr. Savannah. Um, the movie's opening was really hard for for how the rest of the movie went. Those first like ten minutes or so of the movie are really dark <laughs> and really harsh. Yeah. And I love how they they did that though because you need to explain why Doctor Sivana is the guy that he is. So if you're gonna have um, Billy you know, sort of yucking it up through most of the movie and him and Freddie having a good time and it being kind of lighthearted. I feel like having that really great contrast with, you know, Savannah and his envy, which, you know, plays into it later over why Billy got chosen. 
you know, you need to show what happened to him and you need to make it really harsh. And and I, I think that worked really well. At first, I was a little worried because I was like, when? Maybe this movie isn't going to be at all like I thought it was going to be. But it wasn't the whole movie. It's just they started it off at a really, you know, like, uh, you know, really dark. No, exactly. And I liked how they did that. And they gave him the opportunity. And then, you know, he was, you know, persuaded by the seven sins. And then, you know, basically, you know, that was the rejection and thrown out and all those other kids and adults were also. And it was interesting how many times that wizard must have had to go through that, obviously. And it was just amazing to see that. But to that, you know, to explain it, to give him a proper origin and his quest for the power and to get back at the wizard was just fascinating. I'm really glad they did that. I also like how they juxtaposed them because both of them were rejected by their parents in one way or another. But Billy didn't let that like harden him in the way that Savannah did, where that became like sort of like the central part of his life was, you know, him being upset at his father and his brother for being cruel to him. And so, um, and I get that Billy didn't know that his mom had rejected him, but he had to kind of, you know, as he got older, he must have realized that if his mom, his mom would have looked for him and he must have just been denying it because I can't believe that a kid gets that old without thinking that. But, uh, cause I know that's the first thing I thought, you know, and I was like, yeah, she kind of abandoned you because there's no way it went this long without her putting out any kind of search for you. Um, if she was, if she was desperately looking for you. So, um, yeah. Um, but, but I like that. I like that they both came from that as sort of a background because then it, it gives them a sort of similarity and then you can draw the contrasts. And I think it that speaks a lot to what Billy had that Sivana didn't, right? So Sivana continued living with his father and his brother who were, you know, clearly the, the way they treated him didn't get any better. Whereas Billy went from family to family and, and probably had families who cared for him before he got to the one we saw saw in the movie um who you know loved him and eventually he finds his place even though it's not his birth family so he's got that environment of love around him where savannah never had that so i think that's a huge commentary on on you know what nurture can do to one's personality and um desires yeah because savannah didn't start out as an evil person like we saw. I mean, he wasn't worthy in the sense of, you know, he was able to be tempted, but he wasn't a horrible kid. But he talks about the fact that he just dwelled on that for his whole life and thought about it until the point where he decided that he isn't a good person, you know? And I don't think that that was, he was all, you know, I don't think he was born evil or anything. I think it was because he dwelled on it constantly and he thought about how he was, you know, he didn't get the, the you know, the magic that he was promised, or not promised, but that he had a chance at, that that's what turned him into the bad person. Right. He became more obsessed with it instead of, you know, having to, you know, live up to his father and his brother. You know, he basically didn't go into the family business. He obsessed with trying to get back to the wizard, back to the rack of eternity. And, you know, he you know became a doctor and basically himself. And he started funding this whole project 
to try to figure out how to get back to the rock. And then, you know, he was always trying to figure out what was the key to it. And then he finally saw it on the, the clock radio and he was able to, to decipher it. And that's what got him in. It's almost a commentary on that whole mentality of my life would be a lot better if I had X, Y, or Z, right? So kind of when you think everything would be fixed if I just won the lottery. Right. And that's kind of the mentality he's got. <laughs> everything would be fixed if I had just got magic. And he becomes obsessed with it rather than making a success. And, you know, he clearly went and got a, a doctorate, whether it was a medical doctorate or a, or a PhD. Like, he was a successful guy, but he was so obsessed with magic that it took over his life and ruined it. Well, I also like the fact that they made a sort of an embodiment of the seven deadly sins. And, uh, uh, it, it was, you know, I, I, I won't even call it clever. I think it was just fitting that, that the, the, uh, the sin that was powering him mm. was envy, you know, mm-hmm. that was exactly pretty, that, uh, that was always something that, um, uh, uh, in in the older stories, we didn't really get a sense of, uh, but but I like the idea that those seven deadly sins are being kept in check, you know, by by the the wizards. That's a wonderful idea, you know. And so uh, the the very notion that he's the embodiment of envy, you know, uh, is is wonderful. Uh, and again, we're dealing with you know uh, reinterpreting a character that was. You know, even during the time that I loved these stories, having read them for the first time, he's a one-note thing. You know, most mad scientists in the '40s were one-note mm-hmm. things, and uh, and and going to watch the Legends of the Superhero roast from the 1970s will do you no good. <laughs> Internet, don't do it. Don't think that just because Dr. Savannah's on there that it's going to be good. Just don't. <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting the picture yeah, I, here. Okay, I'm just saying. You know, the 70s were not your friend. Uh, great for music, bad for bell bottoms. You know, you just, I mean... We give it and we take it away is what I'm saying. I, I got to say, I was disappointed by the seven deadly sins because at the end of the day, they were just big statues that smashed people. And I wanted something more like they either kill people in ways that are related to the sins or they're out there influencing people to give in to those sins or something. And instead it was just we have these seven monsters that are sort of like depicting those sins. But but there was never anything that I felt like really other than Savannah having envy in him that really resonated with the idea that these are seven deadly sins rather than just seven big rock monsters. I think well, I-, I think. Gluttony had like that massive mouth. Yeah, oh, such a great look. Well, the the point was, and and we were supposed to get it from the flashback, was that uh, they chose the champion, they chose, they picked the wrong guy, and he set the seven deadly sins mm-hmm. free. Uh, you know, and so, uh, so Savannah was basically subjugating the seven deadly sins to to work his will, and presumably had. Uh, Captain Marvel given him his power, he would have become the, you know, the, the holder of the sacred source and he would have let the seven deadly sins go again. Uh, you know, that, that was at least what happened the first time. So I, I, I got the impression that, you know, 
getting Shazam to give him the power was step two of a seven step plan for ultimate evil. Wow. No, and that might be it. Maybe I need to uh, to go back and rewatch that. But yeah, I just I was a little disappointed with the sins. I thought that they looked really creepy, but I didn't feel like they they kind of sold that you know uh, how how dangerous they could be. I I I I thought they were pretty terrifying. You know, when the blood splatters on the glass uh, of of the office, uh, it, it's pretty clear what happens. You know. Yeah. Well, sure, but I'm saying, I mean, seven animated gargoyle statues are going to be scary, sure, but I didn't get seven deadly sins out of it. <laughs> I, I I will grant you that all that all that being equal, they they made them more monstrous because if you go look at the original statues in the comic, they are they're a grotesque, but they're not exactly terrifying, you know. No, uh, they're not. They almost look like statues from Easter Island. Yeah, they're, they're they're weird caricatures, you know, um, and that's, you know, again, I don't think C.C. Beck was trying to scare anybody, you know, when he was doing this. Uh, we, we have since given those seven things more gravitas, or I guess Jeff Johns did, or you know, whatever. But I, I, I will grant you that they were very, um, I, again, kind of by the numbers. You know, oh, you got some CGI things uh, working with you. That's cool. You know, Um, I I do love, though, that Billy's like, I thought lust was going to be a lot hotter. (laughs) (laughs) Me too, That was pretty awesome. All the above. We all agree with him. Yes, we know. So, um, you know, I felt like the final fight was a little on the long side. Um, did you guys feel that way? Cause I just kind of felt like, you know, while it started out being really exciting and then everybody got the powers and everything, it felt like it just kind of was just maybe a few minutes too long. No, I thought it was fine. Cause yeah, I thought it was fine as well. Yeah. Cause you know, each one of them was, you know, discovering their powers for the first time and going up against the creatures and trying to figure out. And if you notice, they also had to learn how to work together Mm. as a team. Yeah, it looked like they each excelled at one thing. Um, You know, like Eugene was the electrical powers. Freddie was flying. um, um, Pedro was the uh, strong one. um, They each had like their own, like, you know, their, their, the one ability they were really good at. Mm-hmm. Shade, shades of the Lieutenant Marvels. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, and, you know, it was interesting. Some of the callbacks, though, also in this, you know, going when they, you know, touched on Tawny Tiger and such. Oh, and, I was so, I was so hopeful. I, you have no idea how excited I was when I saw the tiger, uh, the stuffed tiger, you know. Oh, I was so excited. Mm-hmm. It was just like, okay, that would have been awesome. But I'm glad, you know, that's something they could save for the second movie. Well, yeah, we saw the room with all the doors. I mean, that's that's something they can go back to and, and play with. And, you know, it's it. You know, I, I get the impression that there's a lot more going on there at the Rock of Eternity. So it would be, be cool if they did more with that um, in, in the sequel. Oh, agreed. Yeah, yeah, I, I would love to see. Uh, you know, obviously they've hinted at Mister Mind, but uh, you know, Talkie Tawny would be just the best thing. There's a there's a number of things that could come through those doors uh, in the Rock of Eternity that uh, would totally work as an explanation. You know, I come from the world where 
the barbarians never fell. And so now I'm King Cole. Uh, and, and, or, or we come from the future, a Mr. Adam, you know, type thing. Right, right. Yeah, there's it, all that stuff could totally uh, play, you know. Uh, and uh, I think that's, uh, I hate to say that was a, a good opening because <laughs> that would sound like I'm punning. Uh, but but it, but it but it but it it was probably the best um, uh, Chekhov's gun to put into a first movie, so that you don't have to really explain any of that for a second movie. So yeah, uh, right. So um, getting to that mid-credit scene, which you already t- touched on, Mike, um, we have the uh, the sort of caterpillar guy who's Mister Mind, but for people like myself and Anthony and anyone at home who doesn't really know a lot about Shazam lore, can you uh, tell us a little bit about Mister Mind? Well, Mister Mind is an alien from another world, and basically he is a caterpillar, and he is one of the most evil creatures in the universe. And the, the way he, you know, he has basically telepathic powers, but he communicates through a little radio that he wears around his neck. And you did see that in the movie. And he has been one of the major villains in, you know, Shazam, Captain Marvel since the 1940s. Yeah. It, they used to portray him with really big, thick glasses, actually. And they got into trouble with that because they were thought he was, they were referring to him as Asian because of that. And so they've had to change it over the years and they've tried to keep to basically to the character and the look, but you know, they've made him more, you know, monster looking as a caterpillar. So, but yeah, he's been around even he's in the new 52. So he's definitely, you know, around. And he's been, you know, he mind controls other villains or other heroes. And, you know, he's, he's a force to be reckoned with. So yeah. it was, it, it is, it was kind of neat to see when, you know, Savannah as a kid going into the Rock of Attorney, Mr. Mind was still in his little, you know, glass case. And, but then when Billy went in, he was gone. That was pretty cool. Yeah, you get the impression that when the Sedley Deadly Sins broke out, they, they, you know, it smashed something on the glass and he was able to get out. Mm-hmm. Well, I, th- I think Mr. Mind figured out a way to get out long before that because he is a super genius. Exactly. Uh, he, he's, he's basically, mm-hmm. uh, he's Captain Marvel's grod. You know what I mean? Like, that's, yeah, that's what's so cool about him is that, uh, uh, and, and of course, you know, I love... You know, Savannah never calls him this in, in the movie, but you know, his his affectionate or not affectionate nickname for him is Big Red Cheese, and of course, eventually all of his bad guys call him that. Uh, and I, and Mr. Mine is meant to represent you know brains mm-hmm. versus brawn. You know, it's, it's well, same. It's always been the same thing with Savannah because originally in the comic book, Savannah was a short little guy with really thick glasses and big That's teeth. Right. Yeah. And he always in a white lab coat, you know, and his children weren't much better looking either. No, <laughs> I forgot about Savannah's kids. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, they, they had a certain, um, uh, Basil Wolverton sort of, uh, charm about them. I recommend all those old stuff. They're crazy. They're just, I, uh, see, you're making me go back and reread all of that stuff. Uh, now. Well, that's good. 
My job is complete. Yeah. 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 I, I, I like to encourage people to go and, and take, you know, look at the source material for anything that they enjoy. Well, I'm going to go into my own comic collection. Thank you. Cause I've got all that stuff anyway. So, uh, the good news is, is that, uh, a lot of these were reprinted in the archives back when they were still doing those. And, uh, and I've still got those treasuries, uh, with the, with the great, uh, basically, uh, they're almost the size of original artwork, the, the treasury, uh, editions, uh, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Highly recommend. And you can get some of that, some of that stuff's still available pretty cheap. Even if it's not online, you can, you can find well, it, 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 it. It was actually pretty cool. Um, there's, we have a store down here in the South and I think some places up North have, it's called Ollie's and Ollie's is like a big lots type, you know, discount mm. shop and mm. they've been selling a lot of trade paperbacks dc and marvel and they ha- for usually like four or five bucks each wow. and you could stock up on a ton of stuff and, and i went through and was going at, at it and i found the shazam showcase yes with all the 70s reprints yeah exactly yeah it was so much fun I got it for four bucks. It was like, this is a no brainer. You know, that's nice. If they're that cheap. Totally. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. And, you know, the old comics are great, but also the new stuff. If you want to read some amazing stuff, Jeff Smith, the gentleman who did bone, um, for, you know, who's very, if you have kids of any age, probably over the last 10 years in school, they know who bone is. And, uh, Jeff Smith was the creator and writer of that. He did for DC comics. Right. He, he did uh, Shazam versus the monster society of evil. And his work was so awesome in it. Yeah. He was kind of perfect for that. Wasn't he? I mean, yeah. you know, really good marriage of, uh, source material to creator. And, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that too. It was really good. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun, and then also, if you Jerry Orderway brought uh, Captain Marvel Shazam back after Crisis on Infinite Earths, and did a fantastic job starting with a graphic novel, and then into his own series where he wrote and drew it. I think that's and, some of Ordway's best stuff. Probably. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, it's it's basically he did he did for Shazam what Byrne did for the Fantastic Four. And uh, I love that series so hard. Uh, he did such a wonderful job of taking all the the, the detritus from from Crisis, and you know, making Fawcett City and making that a thing. Genius. Genius. Needless to say, for those of you listening to this episode, if you want to learn more about Shazam, come to the Earth Station One Network Facebook page or to the Finn's Wake blog, and these fine gentlemen will be able to point you in the direction of tons of good stories. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we could tell you about tons of other Easter eggs from the movies. And yeah, stuff there's, like. a, there's a shload of them. Yeah. We are smarter than we look. Well. You guys are. I'm not. I'm completely lost. <laughs> we're, we're, uh, we're, we're getting a little bit long on this one, so I have two more things to ask. First, uh, is there anything else from the movie that you wanted to talk about that we haven't gotten to yet? So, uh, Anthony, we'll start with you. Um, I think I'm good. Uh, actually, no. Mm. I love the foster parents. We talked about the rest of the family, but I really like them. I mean, they, they were portrayed well. They had a lot of love for the extended family. 
I thought they worked really well. Yeah, and you know, um, the the amount that they cared and everything, when they mentioned that they were foster kids themselves, you know, that sort of gives you that sort of, you know, uh, it just makes it feel right. more real, right? Because you can sort of see, like, they're trying so hard to connect with these kids who, you know, may, you know, want to run away or whatever because they know they've been there. And I, I liked that aspect to it. Right. <laughs> Exactly. And, you know, you even saw like when Mary got her acceptance letter, she was sad to leave her new family. And so, yeah, I thought the family dynamic worked and I love the foster parents. I thought they were really cool. And it's nice because most of the times in the movie when you see foster parents, they're the jerks. They want to steal the money or abuse the kid or get drunk and, you know, just you kids go off, do whatever you want, blah, blah, blah. No, this was awesome. These were caring parents and they they wanted to do, to make a family and give a good life for these kids. I gave that total kudos. Yeah, that was one of the things that I wanted to mention was that I have a friend who's adopted quite a few children and he he talks about that sometimes about how foster parents, you know, people say like, well they're not your real kids or stuff like that. There's just a lot of things in society that niggle on him and it was really nice to see a very pro foster, you know, uh, uh movie you know, where it was depicting that as a very positive environment, a good thing and all of that. So, um, yeah, I, I think that the movie deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, so Mike, what about you? Was there anything else about the movie that you wanted to talk about that we didn't uh, get to? Um, uh, most, you know, the one thing I didn't like, and this is, I've heard from other people that they agreed. I could have done without the bullies. They, they were total, waste of time there were so many other things that could have been done or if anything bring them in for the the scene where they were bullying freddie and billy stood up mm -hmm. to them and he was being chased and that's how he got into the subway car yes that was fine but they didn't need to have it where they tried to run run over the handicapped kid you know that was just kind of that was a little over the top and then for them to keep on coming back over and over and then to be rescued at the amusement park that just happened to be where the battle was it was just like nah get rid of that 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 i could have done without that was a trope i didn't need to see yeah i mean i think their only important purpose was to show that billy had some bravery and goodness to him before he got the power. So like you say, that scene where he's where he gets them to stop picking on Freddy and they chase him, that was important. But yeah, the rest of what they did, it was kind of they 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 were trying to pay off the idea of, you know, it's a trope like, uh, oh, when the kid gets powers, he gets rid of the bullies, but I think they devoted a little more time to it than they needed to. See, I agree that, completely. That 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 feeds into what I was saying earlier about how I felt like so much of the movie was kind of by the numbers. You know what I mean? Like that was a real, uh, there wasn't anything about the bullies that we hadn't seen before. And the only thing I really have to compare this to just to give an example, uh, is, uh, Spider-Man homecoming did a great job of reinterpreting flash for, you know, this, this new iteration of, of Peter Parker. Um, you know, it's like like super smart kids don't pick on each other the way bullies pick on you know weaker children you know and so so I love the the you know penis Parker you know stuff that he was pulling I just thought that was and that that, that felt more honest than having it be like the jock picking on the the weak kid you know what I mean so I so you know you can take 
that sort of uh, hackneyed contrivance and do something new with it. And this movie didn't choose to do that. And again, I, I, I'm all the more surprised and, and floored that, that it didn't bother me in a way that it would have bothered me watching another film, you know? Uh, and I, 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 I'm just going to chalk that up to being how much I really wanted this movie to do well. <laughs> well, exactly. It's like, please do well, please do well. And it succeeded. And I love the evolution of a superhero. And yeah. this is truly, you know, yeah, you've had other movies. You look at Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse where you had Miles come into his own. Right, right, right. And so, and I put this right up there with it. And, you know, I said it on my podcast and I'm going to say it here. This is probably my favorite superhero movie of the last 10 years. Yeah, that's wow. That's a wild. Strong that is high praise. Wow. Okay. And then I didn't have to cry when everyone turned to dust. So it's good. <laughs> <laughs> um,. Well, yeah, my wife made that joke when Billy's in the uh, subway car and everybody around him turns to dust as he's going to the Rock of Eternity. And she's like, wow, Thanos snap reached into the DC universe, too. Well, exactly. Or when that uh, doctor touched the door and she turned to dust. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, uh, Mark, what about you? Was there anything about the movie that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to? No, I think we covered everything uh, uh, by letting me ride the coattails of your other guests. So, Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was going to talk about how it was um, pro-Foster, but uh, we talked about that already, so that works. Um, so, last question. What do you want to see out of Shazam 2 if it gets made? So, um, Anthony, let's start with you. I just hope the tone is consistent and it keeps the same sense of humor. You know, not having a huge amount of the lore to fall back on. Um, really what I'd want to see is is something that keeps the same spirit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Mark, what about you? Any Anything you want for Shazam 2? Ordinarily, I would never do this. But because I like you... Uh, I'm, I'm going to indulge in my uh, rampant speculation uh, because uh, I, I think they're setting up a team up between Savannah and Mr. Mind, which is classic. Uh, and I would rather see that than see that with Black Adam. Um or if we're going to do a sequel, give me Black Adam and, and put Mr. Mind and Savannah into a third movie, which which theoretically could be the Monster Society of Evil because they could just stack everybody up, you know, as you, as you go. But uh, I really would like to see uh, more of the Marvel family uh, doing Marvel family stuff. I think the family notes in this first movie were great. And I think that the spirit that you guys mentioned uh and and the idea of, of the foster family being you know genuinely good people you know uh, for the sake of you know their own experiences i think that's uh that's a good thing and now that we've kind of got the origin out of the way which you know uh had to be told a certain way i'm i'm hoping that they'll get more inventive with the rest of uh the stuff that's in the Captain Marvel. I'm going to call it the milieu because I hate the idea of, of reducing it to mere intellectual property, but there's a lot of really cool stuff 
in there that they can play with. And I hope whoever does it plays. I think, I think a playful tone should, should be the hallmark of these movies. They don't have to be like other things. The, the DC stuff can mention other characters because I think it's okay. But I think he works best when he's not in the same movie with Batman, uh, you know, or any of the other characters. He needs to have his own tone and it needs to be uh, his tone. So, uh, yeah, keep that up. All right. And uh, Mike, what would you like to see in Shazam 2? Uncle Dudley, my friends. <laughs> For you who don't know the comic books, you will find out. He's also was the driver of the camper in the 70s show, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> we're not going to talk about that. But uh, Uncle Dudley has to be in the next one. And if they have Tawny Tiger, that's even better. And then, you know, I want to see Black Adam. I think I definitely don't think, you know, they can go much further after a next one with a Black Adam character. Because especially, you know, Black Adam wasn't a major character in the 1940s and such. But from when they brought him back in the 80s with Jerry Ordway's version, Black Adam has a good guy, a bad guy, a dictator, a ruler of a country. You know, he's done it all. And, you know, he and having Dwayne Johnson, who was, looks almost exactly like everyone pictured him looking would be perfect. And so I'm down with that. So I definitely, they have to keep the humor, keep it light. They can get dark at parts, but I don't want to see a dark Shazam. And the one thing I will say is very disappointed that his mother's name wasn't Martha. (laughs) (laughs) Just tie all the DC movies together as the Martha cinematic universe. (laughs) Welcome to the Marthaverse. Yeah, the Marthaverse. <laughs> um, yeah, I was kind of surprised that Black Adam wasn't the tease at the end of the movie because uh, they seem to be hinting at Mr. Mind and Savannah uh, teaming up for the next one, which means, and maybe that's because they're thinking uh, maybe Black Adam and Shazam 2 will come out about the same time and then maybe Shazam 3 would be the one where he encounters Black Adam, but I, I don't know. I don't know what they're... Uh, what they're thinking there. And of course DC hasn't been doing a good job of planning their movies and the way that Marvel's had that as one of their strengths. So well, um, well, they get, they get a pass for basically dusting off all of the screen, uh, all, all of the set pieces from, uh, Superman and Superman two, uh, and big to make this film. They get a pass for that. And, and, and because it works. But I do not want to see the sequel have four villains in it. I don't want that. I, and and I, would, I would be happy. I'd be just as okay if there was only one villain in the sequel as well. I mean, I, I know they're, they're hinting it to or whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know, it'd be, it'd be great if uh, one of them gets taken out early and the other one has to step up or whatever. Just I, I don't like revisiting stuff I've seen before ad nauseum. So. No. Exactly. But also remember, a lot of times in the stories, Mr. Mind is behind the scenes. You don't. Totally. Yeah. So yeah, he's he great like that. He could be the guy pulling the strings for all of them. You know, totally. You know, I think that that could work. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. So uh, for me, for Shazam 2, not knowing much about the character, but one of the things that I've enjoyed about uh, Aquaman was how well they did the lore, you know, and just building up that there's this whole other world of things. So I think anything more that they tell us about the Rock of Eternity, anything more about the history of the Council of Wizards or anything like that. I think that that would be really cool if they sort of build up that lore. Because DC, until recently, has been very hesitant about, you know, they've always wanted their movies to be grounded and gritty. You know, now we're finally getting to a point where they're like, yeah, there's Atlantis, you know, and there's, by the way, there's seven other kingdoms underwater, too, and they each are completely different with completely different, like, beings and everything, so, you know, anything that they do with that showing the different worlds, I mean, I think Mr. Mind mentioned Seven Realms. Or, you know, and stuff like that, you know, any any of that kind of stuff. I would love to see them build up and, and you know, make, you know, the, just, you know, build, um, bring the sense of wonder into the movie, uh, which could very easily be, you know, um, combined with, uh, you know, how light and fun, you know, the movie is. So, um, yeah. Some- I suspect if, if, if they actually make this imaginary Black Adam movie that I don't think will ever appear. Um, I think I think because they glossed over all of that history stuff in you know a thirty second uh, smoke screen for Shazam, I think they're going to have to put that in Black Adam. I think that's going to be central to to him. That's his story, anyways. So they may even frame it again. I don't think it's ever going to happen because I haven't seen any proof of it. But they may frame it in the in the in the form of a prequel. You know what I mean? Like we're, for now, we're going to go back and tell the story of the first. Uh, champion of the lightning, you know? Uh, so, so I think that, I think, I think you will get that. I just don't know if you're going to get it in the Shazam sequel. Yeah, I, no, no, I don't think you will. Or if they do, I hope they do it like, you know, all right, let's do it one more time. He was picked by the wizard. He was, you know, <laughs> he had to pick what his powers were be. He got corrupted. He brought the seven sins up, blah, blah, blah. Here we go. Let's get on with the movie. Bop. <laughs> But, um, and yeah, and like I say, more, more with the magic, more with other worlds, stuff like that. I think that would be fun. Um, but, uh, all right. So, um, let's, um, sign out and, uh, let people know where they can find us online. Um, so, uh, Mark, why don't we start with you? Uh, I have a blog that I am very indolent about updating called Mark the Aging Hipster. Uh, I also write... Uh, although I haven't done it very recently, uh, an RPG blog called Confessions of a Reformed RPGer. Uh, and uh, the Gentleman Nerds podcast is about to come off of hiatus. So we'll be doing more Gentleman Nerds podcasts in the meantime. But if you want to catch up on those, GentlemanNerds.com uh, has all sorts of uh, very erudite and interesting conversations. All right. And Mike, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where they can find you? Goodbye. See you later. Oh, yeah, that thing. All right, you can find me at Weekly on the Earth Station 1 podcast, bi-weekly on the Earth Station Who podcast, and once a month, you from January till the end of September, you can find me as a co-host of the, what is it called now, the Dragon Con Con Report. And we talk all about Dragon Con and all the fun of this huge con that takes place Labor Day weekend in Atlanta, Georgia. And you can celebrate and have fun with 80,000 of your favorite friends. It's pretty darn awesome. 
And we could all be found, of course, on the ESO Network. It is esonetwork.com. All right. And Anthony, why don't you say goodbye and let people know where or if they can find you online. Goodbye. Um, you can find me on uh, the Watchers in the Fourth Dimension podcast. Uh, as I said in my intro, that's where we are. Me and three others are watching our way through the entirety of Doctor Who starting in 1963 and heading on through to the present day. We're stuck somewhere in 1964 right now. Um, oh. And I am very occasionally... Uh, a guest of uh, Mike on Earth Station One and occasionally on Earth Station Who as well. And folks, if you get a chance to listen to his podcast, it's a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah. And if you have a chance to listen to the Red Dwarf podcast that we all did, that Mike and Anthony and I did together, check that out. It was a lot of fun. Yes, it was. <laughs> but... Um, Mark and Mike, uh, thank you for joining. And Anthony, thank you for uh, coming on for your first uh, episode. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Yeah, it's been great. It's been fun. And that's a wrap on Shazam. We hope that you liked the episode, and you can let us know in a variety of ways. You can go to our website at 42cast.com and leave a message on any of the topics. You can tweet to us at at 42cast. You can go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash 42cast, or you can email us at everything at 42cast.com. You can also leave us reviews on Stitcher Radio or iTunes. And really, with iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, I'd really appreciate it because the more you leave feedback, the more that the programming there promotes the show, and that would be very helpful because I would like to have more listeners come to the show. Uh, another thing is just letting you know that there is a Patreon for the ESO Network. It's something that helps all the shows on the network. It gives you access to exclusive content, so if you would like to support the network, you can just go to patreon.com slash ESO Network. Another thing that I want to talk about is the Time Streams podcast. It is an unabashedly American view of Doctor Who, as both myself and my friend Juliet go through the series. I am a longtime Doctor Who fan. I've been watching the show since I was five in 1985. I have read every fiction and nonfiction book about Doctor Who that I can get my hands on, which is a process I continue to do. Um, Juliet is coming to it completely cold on the original series. I think she's seen all of Eccleston and Tennant with the new series, but hasn't seen anything beyond that. So it's kind of her perspective as being very fresh on this, my perspective having a long time. And so we have a lot of fun while we're doing it. And so I'd like for you to, you know, take a look at it and you can let us know what you think about that one as well. But yeah, otherwise I think I said pretty much everything that I want to say in the intro. Join us next week when Patrick Troughton will not be joining us, and until then, this is Nathan, signing off. You have been listening to the 42Cast, copyright 2020. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42cast.com. Theme music is Sharper Swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. The 42 Cast is a proud member of the ESO Network. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. 
Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.